My name is Nathan Forster, and this is Deeper and Wider, a show where we meet at the crossroads of Christian faith and all of life, from the small to the big, from the mundane to the profound, where we learn people's stories and their specialities, have conversations, and offer perspectives, all of which are shaped and animated by Jesus, his way of life, and the kingdom he came to bring. This show will be a resource for people who, deep down in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have put it in, a kingdom that can permeate all of existence, if we allow it to. So welcome to Deeper and Wider. There was once a regular gathering of Christian university students. These young Christians would come from their respective classes and huddle together into a hideout library room that they rented for their fortnightly gatherings. There, in this space suited for tutorial presentations, they would come together to discuss how their faith could impact their lives and also strategies about different ways to share their faith with their friends. One week, there, one of the young, enthusiastic men of the group, an avid reader in all things to do with defending the faith, volunteered to lead the session on apologetics. He got up from his front desk with a PowerPoint ready to go and begun his presentation. Tonight, he announced, I would like to share with the group an analogy on how Jesus is the only way to God and how to convince people of this one and only truth. Just as he was about to continue with his message, The back door to the large room quietly opened, and an old man came quietly in. The old wise man, fitted with a priestly clerical collar, sat down quietly in the back row of the fitted-out room and listened to the young man speak, looking on and listening intently. "'Have you ever heard the fire analogy before?' said the young man enthusiastically to the group. Most of them shook their heads and began to listen more closely. Well, he continued, there was once three people who awoke to find themselves in the middle of a beautiful yet mysterious maze-like forest. It was a late night, and they thought it would be better to find the way out of the maze in the morning. As it was a cold evening, they used some of the loose timbers around them and a lighter one of the people had, and they made a campfire. After they huddled around the campfire, each weary person went to sleep. And as they slept, the campfire went beyond its bounds. And it lit up, and a nearby bushfire started to emerge. And suddenly, all three of the people woke up in a blazing fire that had now started to spread to the maze forest walls. These three people started to run through the maze. Thankfully, the maze turned out to be more like a labyrinth. And so, they became confident that they would all get out alive. All three of them were running through the maze together, but eventually they hit a crossroad. There were two ways to go, but now they had to make a decision as to which way was the right way out of the maze. The first person said, "Uh, Well, I, I don't think there is a way out. This is all a sick joke. This is all we have got. So we might as well settle in and face our fate. Oh, And then the second person pointed to the first path and said, I believe this is the way out. And the third person said, Hey guys, I believe all paths lead to the way out. 
But then, out of the blue came a person from the second path and said, I am the maker of the maze, and I sit at the top of the tower with a bird's eye view of the maze. I know this is the way out, so follow me. This is what we can say to people who think there are either no God, and so no ways to God, or to people who believe their faith is right but have no proof of it, or to those who think it's narrow-minded to say that there's only one way to God. We can say that Jesus, like the creator and bird's-eye viewer of the maze, has stepped down into human history and has shown us the way out. (laughs) How can an atheist argue with God who has shown that he is real and has a way out? How can someone of a different faith say that their way is the right way when we have Jesus who stepped in to show us the way? (laughs) And to those New Age people who think it's narrow-minded to say there's only one way to God, well, we can say to them, who are you to say that your view of reality is correct? We have Jesus, and he shows that there is a God and therefore there is only one way. If God himself has become a person, and this person says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, well, (laughs) how can you argue with that? We have the very creator become man and show everyone he is legit. As the enthusiastic young man continued to explain his parable, the young Christian students started to yell, Yeah, amen, that's right, and they clapped away. But there was one person in the room whose demeanor was different. In the back corner sat the old man with the clerical collar, looking gently forward and only smiling. The young man began to conclude his speech, saying, And so, with all these different religions saying that their way to God and heaven is right, or that they are all correct, or that there isn't even any way, we can show them Jesus, who shows us how to get to God in heaven. The young man said, Thank you to the crowd, and sat down appeased. As the formalities of the evening died down and the meeting came to a close, the students went to shake the hand of their speaker, each one paying a compliment for the parable he had told. Once all the students had left, the old man, sitting quietly at the back, came up to the young man. The old man took the young man's hand warmly, shaking it, looking gently into his eyes, and said in a wise, peaceful and honest voice. You have a gift for speaking, young man, and I am thankful for such energy and enthusiasm. The young man, aware of the sincerity of this old man, said, Thank you. May I offer you, though, something to reflect on, said the wise old man. Curious. The young man consented to the wise man's sharing. Of course. What would you like me to reflect on? Well, said the old man. Whilst there are many good truths that your parable touches on, maybe there's an even better way to look at the deep truths of our faith. Suppose we start the story the same way. Three people in this beautiful maze-like forest, making a campfire, and the fire gets out of hand. They are running through what appears to be more like a labyrinth, and then they hit a crossroad. And indeed, there might be sincere confusion as to which way to go. That would indeed be a big decision with a fire all around you. A very hard one to make indeed. And yet, what if now, instead of this Jesus figure coming down offering a way out, instead he brings with him a hose, a shovel, and a bag? And what if this Jesus figure starts to put out the whole forest fire with his hose that he has? He turns on the hose. He runs into the fire. 
and you can no longer see him, but alas, he goes in, and magic. The water has spread throughout the whole forest, and the fire is put out. And then he turns to the fellow maze dwellers and says to them, Well, we've got the whole forest to grow and to make beautiful, and I would like to partner with you in doing this. This Jesus figure then offers them a bag filled with seeds and a shovel for digging and says to the maze dwellers, Will you join me in making this maze beautiful again? The old man pauses, again smiles, warmly holds the young man's hand and says, My dear friend, you are right to say that Jesus shows us who God truly is. And this is indeed an eye-opening reality especially against the backdrop of many theories and faiths about God or the gods. And yes, if there is a God and only one God revealed in the person of Jesus, then that is indeed a scandal to the modern mind. For if that which is capital T truth, and that has become a person and stepped into human history, as we of course believe, then that does challenge anyone who thinks that there could be multiple versions of God, or that they can insist of their way of seeing the world that stands in contrast to Jesus. But my friend, I wonder what it would mean to see that this Jesus has already put out the fire. To see that this broken world, this world burnt out by the flames of evil, injustice, sin, death and corruption, that it has a healer, a gardener, who wants to sow the seeds of a new world right here in the middle of this burnt one and is actually calling all people to follow him in partnering with that healing project in the world. My son, would that not be a better story to be told? The young man, feeling slightly perplexed and feeling somewhat affronted, said, well, I, I mean, I, I, I guess, but what about going down the right path? Surely what you're saying makes it sound like it doesn't matter what other people say about their f about other faiths or lack of faith altogether. Are you saying we shouldn't worry about those things at all? That it's all just leading to heaven anyway? The old man gently smiled. <laughs> My friend, responded the old man, I trust in Jesus' version of reality because I trust in Jesus. I think dying and coming back from the dead gives him a certain credibility that, I would agree, is more reliable than what other sages or religious figures have said about reality. But the story of this world we live in that Jesus is telling, it's an even better story than we have first thought. It's not about going somewhere else after you die, though that might indeed be part of it. But rather, it's about that somewhere else. That is, heaven coming to earth and God making this place his home. Heaven on earth. And if that's what it's all about, then living a new life that's aligned with Jesus' future for this world is indeed a big shift for someone. For if you are going to trust that Jesus is making this world new, that is indeed a whole paradigm shift. And if you're going to partner with Jesus in doing this, that will indeed start a newfound relationship with Jesus and would therefore evolve taking his view of things, including that Jesus alone offers to us the most fullest and accurate view of reality. But don't you see? Such a trust in a better version for this world, a better vision launched in Jesus, is much more about being part 
of a relational revolution than it is about joining a tightly defined religious club or even having some doctrines neatly articulated that somehow, because you have the right theory in your head, gives you the ticket out of the maze, or in this case, perhaps into the sky. No, my son, the good news is God so loves this world, and he so loves you too, and wants everyone to be excited with this worldwide project, and partner with what Jesus wants done in making this maze or perhaps this world beautiful again. The young man, still somewhat startled, had a confused look on his face. Okay, so it's about bringing heaven on earth then. But what about hell? The way you talk about the fire being put out removes any real sense of urgency, at least. I think that. It makes it sound like that all the people in the maze will agree with my Jesus figure and make it a new garden, but, but some won't join in. Surely we need to be worried about hell, right? What happens to those people who don't want to join in, in the, 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 the maze-restoring project you talk about? Well, responded the old man, when Jesus talks about hell, he's talking about a real place. But like an actual real place on earth. Although this real place he was speaking about was Jerusalem's local garbage dump called... And in the original language, it was called Gehenna, or what we translate in English as hell. <laughs> Their local garbage dump certainly had bad vibes to it, though. A bit like a haunted house. Because many years before Jesus was on the scene, before it became the town dump, people did used to go to this place, the Valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna and sacrifice children there to these other deities. And so by Jesus' time, the place had, shall we say, a spookiness to it. Not to mention with the local wider Greek and Roman culture starting to come, starting to come into Jerusalem. The locals, including even the religious elite of Jesus' day, started to use the local mythology of underworld called Hades. And some people, maybe dovetailing from the spookiness of their local garbage dump called Gehenna and a legend associated with that, or what we call hell, started to say things like that the garbage dump was actually a gateway to the underworld. Now, it also didn't help that their garbage dump was used to burn a lot of things. Now, while scholars aren't 100% sure, there are some who even theorise that maybe this garbage dump had dogs go to it who would fight over scraps, causing gnashing of teeth. Some others even say that the oil runoff from the garbage would pile down into little ponds that would be lit up, creating almost a lake of fire. So you can imagine that with all this rich imagery, that Jesus would of course use some of the local language and rhetoric to make some serious points and some pretty eye-opening parables about what happens when you live against the grain of God's way of being human and against the grain of how God wants to run the world. To live like this might produce a garbage of a life. And of course, on a wider societal level, not living the ways Jesus commanded could lead to all sorts of hells breaking loose. I mean, after all, imagine being told to live non-violently. And then you had a whole people do the exact opposite. Or if you were told to live generously, but then all you do is live selfishly, that will ripple out and create a whole societal unrest. And your life being 
quote-unquote, burned up. Some scholars even say that's what happened, quite literally, when Jerusalem didn't follow in the ways of Jesus. This city, Jerusalem, who had been under the occupation of the Roman Empire, they revolted against Rome in 70 AD by the way of the sword, acting violently rather than by the ways of Jesus' love. And actually, history tells us the city became an extension of their own lit-up garbage dump. So sure, Jesus talks about hell a lot, but maybe not in the way we think. I think he has it more focused on this world than on something next. And yeah, Jesus does indeed talk about final judgment. But even there, we got to remember that, like any good Jewish prophet, Final judgment is about God judging the world in order to make something new on the far side of the judgment. So even his judgment, even when it appears harsh in scripture, it's just a classic Jewish move about God fixing up this broken, messy world. Now that isn't to say the Jewish vision of judgment isn't confronting. It most certainly is. After all, the Apostle Paul talks about it as if all our secrets are going to be laid bare. And of course, if no stone is being left unturned in God's judgment, then no one in all of history, from the biggest to the smallest thing, will get away from God's sight and God's dealings. And yes, even if we think about what a person is becoming when they live against the ways of Jesus... Someone not living with the grain of being the human God wants to make us to be. That will shape a person. And in that way, it might not be good on that judgment day. And yet, on the far side of all of that, God's judgment is good news. Because God's judgment is about him doing all the judging. So much so that on the other side is God making a new world free from evil. There's a lot of hell already around us and inside of us in how we live and prioritize our life. After all, money, for example, being the reason for living won't make a person feel good in the long run. And such a life will just bring more hell out into the people around him or her. Just imagine it, living life for money but never fulfilling. And then, in living life for money, only seeing people in terms of how you can best, quote, profit, quote, from them. You might start using people for monetary gains or cutting corners on a big business. I think of big companies, for example, who use slave labor to cut the costs of their goods. And I think, surely, that's the love of money causing so much evil out there. So there's already hell around us, and there's already hells in us. And if people don't want to turn away from that... That indeed can eat us up on the inside, even in the here and in the now. And when Jesus appears again one day to fully fill this world with God's love everywhere, where this world is fully healed through judgment and evil is no more, where all the hells around us are fully extinguished, then it'll be pretty hard for someone who still seeks to live their life against the grain of how God wants them to live their life when there will only be this new Jesus-shaped world on offer. In this new world, you can only live like Jesus. And that is pretty tough if you've been going against the grain. That would be like swimming upstream. Now, I'm not sure what it means for someone like that. But likewise, if there is only one new creation, 
and there isn't room for evil anywhere in it. I can't see how there would be a torture chamber slotted on the side of creation where God is all in all. And I can't fathom a reason why God would want one there in the first place. I remember when I was young, I sat in a sauna for 30 minutes based on the dare. And it was very hot after a while. Now just imagine God doing that to people for not 30 minutes or 30 days or 30 years or 300 years, but forever. I wonder what purpose or pleasure God would get out of that. If hell is anything for anyone, it's something that they are making in their resistance against God's love. Not something God is actively wishing upon people, throwing people into in a corner. It certainly isn't a torture chamber that God makes. I, I can't square that with a God we call love. God loves all people and wants everyone to be part of God's new world. So, I think, to put it another way, God isn't sending people to this place called hell, but instead, God is sending heaven to people. And whilst we might maintain the logical possibility that, maybe, God will somehow create space within God's all-in-all creation in order to make space for those who want to live their own way, that's possible. But I'm not sure what that would look like exactly. Now, I know some theologians even say that hell is the love of God badly received on their end. As if God's love is all around them, but they stubbornly refuse it. And so it feels like a nagging presence to them, whereas it's actually God's love, not giving up. I know others have said that those who refuse God's love, God will mercifully let them dwindle away into non-existence, no longer being in existential pain. Who knows? And I don't claim to know. But one thing I know for sure is this. God wants even those people to join God in God's new world. And if God is wooing people into a better world right now by becoming better people, by entering into the best transforming relationship with him, does God stop doing that later on? Now, of course, that's up to us if we want that. But I certainly know people in some rough spots who want someone to rescue them and I trust that God can be what they have always wanted, even if they don't know how to articulate that which we are so blessed to have a clear picture of in the here and the now in the person of Jesus. Maybe the Spirit can move in the wildernesses of the world and show grace and mercy to many, even if they don't know it. Who knows? It's a possibility. And of course, equally, I do know people who are terribly resistant to love, grace, peace, kindness, and all the goodies that come with being a person remade by love. And we need to heed to the warnings of how far down the road that can form us. But maybe, maybe instead of being concerned how God is going to sort that out, we can instead partner with God with being concerned about the only hells we know for sure that which is currently around us, and the ones within our own hearts. we got some mighty logs to get out of our own eyes, and there is some heavy timber that's crushing others that we are supposed to lift off our brothers and sisters who are in pain. The young man paused reflectively. I see. I guess, 
I guess I'm just worried that we are watering down Jesus. Like, are you still suggesting it doesn't matter as long as we are a good person? That we'll just go into this new Jesus-shaped world if we are just, you know, good? What about Jesus specifically? The old man paused and reflected on his question. That's a noble concern, he said. After all, as Jesus said in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yet, I wonder if when we look at Jesus, we see these words as less about the path, way out of this world, more about being the way we participate in this world, in the way Jesus created us to be. In other words, Jesus is the way to be. Jesus is the truth of all things. And as we follow him, we start to mimic the life that God has always destined for us. And yes, when we live like this, this would be a life that matches the future of this world. We would be living on the right side with the grain of where all history is heading. And yes, we are only formed by that which you are in relationship with, whether that be God, or as I said earlier, things like money, or perhaps approval or fame. I suppose then, being formed into Jesus comes in and through relationship with him. And yet... I am haunted by Jesus' words that those who think they are in are actually out. And those who we think are out are actually in. From a 30,000-foot view, salvation looks pretty black and white. You are either in or you're out. Yet when you zoom in closer, the 30,000-foot view doesn't change. It is maintained. But it is maintained in tension to the mystery of the Spirit's work across the world. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said it best in his book, Mere Christianity. And I quote, The situation in the actual world is much more complicated. The world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves by that name. Some of them are clergymen. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, though they do not yet call themselves so. There are people who do not accept the full Christian doctrine about Christ, but who are so strongly attracted to him that they are his in a much deeper sense than they themselves understand. There are people in other religions who are being led by God's secret influence to concentrate on those parts of their religion which are in agreement with Christianity, and thus belong to Christ perhaps without knowing it. For example, a Buddhist of goodwill may be led to concentrate more and more on the Buddhist teachings about mercy and to leave in the background, though he might still say he believed, the Buddhist teaching on certain other points. Many of the good pagans long before Christ's birth may have been in this position. And always, of course, there are a great many people who are just confused in mind and have a lot of inconsistent beliefs all jumbled up together. Consequently, it's not so much use trying to make judgments about Christians and non-Christians in the mass. But that's the words of C.S. Lewis. In other words, my son, perhaps it's about the direction we are moving into. Are we moving more towards Christ or away? And I know of many who even call upon the name of Christ, who do not seem like they follow him. 
What I mean is, is that the scope of who can be part of this life is not limited to joining a religious club. God will move the way God moves. But of course, if disciples are to be made, they are made in and with the explicit teachings of Jesus. And those teachings are indeed found within the Christian religion and through the churches of history. And so none of this would be to downplay relationship with Jesus or even the Christian religion more broadly. After all, if we look at Jesus specifically, his Sermon on the Mount, he gives a very narrow way to live that even your average salt of the earth person does not hold on to. For example, I don't know many people hold on to Jesus' sexual ethics. Probably don't accidentally follow in that. You do so because you follow Jesus in a very overt way. Likewise, you don't just love your enemies. You need Jesus to show you how to do that. And same with Jesus' lessons on anger. And most certainly same with his lessons on taking oaths in what is a very political world full of them, both on the left and the right and the moderate and the up and the down. So we need Jesus and not just good people. And this comes through following him in relationship with him. My son, all I'm saying is that we live open for God to be God, for those on the spiritual journey no matter how they currently identify. Jesus said to the Roman centurion that he had more faith than anyone in Israel. And he was a pagan. The wise men who followed the stars and found baby Jesus. And they were likely astrologers. Now, of course, none of this is to validate their practices. It is simply to say that Jesus will seek out all who are sincerely looking. And those who are sincerely looking can be prompted onto the right path, moving in the right direction. Someone's alternative religious and spiritual practices might even at times still be evil. But the difference here isn't between two boxes, one called the Christian religion or the church box and whatever the other box is called. The difference here is rather light and darkness, and even we can fall victim to that within our own churches. The young man paused. He then asked, So, does it matter what you believe then? The old man paused and then smiled. Chuckling, he said, (laughs) Well, even the devils believe. At least, that's what Jesus' half-brother James tells us in his letter. But, if by belief, we believe in the same way that we believe in a movement, Let's say like how some people believed Martin Luther King Jr. during the civil rights movement. Did people just give a cognitive assent to that movement? Or did believing had tied into it a doing? And I know what you're going to say, my dear son. That perhaps this is a form of works-based righteousness, this doing language. But it's not like that. Rather, it's more that When you trust in Jesus, when you trust in his story that he is telling of the world, trust in his ways as the best and truest way to be truly and fully human, then like any trusting relationship, you're going to do what he did based on trusting that it is the way to be and the world to live in. It doesn't mean we become like Jesus overnight, just going along doing everything he did right now perfectly. But this type of believing 
is like a trust fall, an allegiance to a king that when you trust, you start to follow. And you will stumble every day, but the good teacher Jesus is one full of grace who will pick you back up and you continue to follow along. All of this is to say, I think we have made belief into theological statements you sign your name off on, rather than a person we trust in and entrust in his version of reality. Now, of course, who Jesus is, his version of reality, that is a whole lot of theology. But even there, even that theology, even that now is less about academics and more about just wanting to know God's plans for the world more and more and to live more deeply into that. It's so, so relational. It's about a trustful and allegiance that leads to a better way. You seem to care that people follow Jesus, said the young man. But you seem to also give a lot of room for others. The old man smiled and said in response, (laughs) I want to give room for God to be God and simply do what he has told us to do, leaving the rest to him. We make disciples and keep our focus on bringing heaven to earth like that of the man in the maze who puts out the fire and invite all to follow him. But what about in the end, said the young man? You know, the end of time. You seem to not be definitive about how that will all play out. The young man stopped talking and waited for the old man's response. We do not have a video camera at the end of time that can tell us with certainty what final judgment, salvation, the ins and outs of it all, will finally look like. We do, of course, have scriptures of warnings and scriptures of possibility. And when I look at Jesus, I see a man who is kind, who wants all people to be transformed by his saving love. How that unfolds in the end, I do not know. Of course, whatever happens, it's only been a people bending the knee to Jesus who will participate in God's world. Yet shall I limit who that will be and how that might finally come about? If someone bends the knee, then so be it. They bend the knee. The writers of Scripture have placed before us both warning signs about the type of people we can become now when we don't follow him, and also signs of hope. There is the immediate, pointed, and specific ways of Jesus that require we follow him by the Spirit, in relationship with him. And and there is also the work of the Spirit moving across the world, trying to woo all people to Jesus and his ways, by even the means of the littlest of God's light found in the shadows in any given place, people, and moment. We must call all people to follow him. And we also must not look at somebody as if we know with certainty their damnation. For we simply don't know. Perhaps this is why it's called God's judgment. Because it is God who does the judging. Not you and not me. So, I don't know. And that's okay. Because God knows. And if God knows everything, then I don't have to know everything. His knowing overwhelms my unknowing.
Yet in all things, we know his ways are best. That he is kind. So much so that regardless how it all plays out, we can at least know this. All shall be well. In all manner of things shall be well. And with this, the old man put his hand on the young man's shoulder and said his final words to him. Keep up the good work, my son. The old man began to leave, and as he was just about to exit the room, he turned to the young man and said, And don't forget to help Jesus plant those new seeds for his new maize. <laughs> or perhaps, don't worry about the maize bit. Just plant a beautiful forest with him. Then the old man smiled and closed the door behind him. Thanks for listening to Deeper and Wider. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe and share far and wide. If you want to get to know me, then follow me on Instagram at Nathan underscore Forster or look me up at NathanForster.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.